This is Salty Believer Unscripted. I'm Josiah Walker. I'm Brian Katherman. And today we're continuing our conversation about systematic theology. And I thought today we would talk about the Bible. And the Apocrypha. And... The Book of Mormon? Sure. Other things? <laughs> Scriptures? How do we know... How do we know... How do we know we have the right scripture? Ooh, that's a good question. I mean, that's the... That's kind of where... The, I don't think every systematic theology book goes there at all, but Grudem right. has a really good couple of chapters, a few chapters on what is scripture and, you know, it's it's how do we understand clarity and how do we understand sufficiency, but also how do we know we have the right books? That's a great question because there's a lot of debate over that, right? Like, Well, where we live, we're <laughs> in we Utah. Where we live for sure. We're in Utah. Uh, so 66 books. Right. Um, in the Protestant canon. In the Protestant canon and... So you, I think it's interesting to talk about this from the perspective when you're talking with like the youth you're teaching, because yeah. a lot of us just assume, well, this is the Bible, and they forget. Adults, of course, do too, but they forget that it used to be scrolls right. and codex. And when Jesus stood up in the synagogue and he unrolled, you know, he pulled out a scroll right. and he unrolled to a section of Isaiah and said, "Today this is filled yeah. among you." Then he rolled the scroll back up and put it in the like it wasn't like one book with a whole bunch of different sections like we have it published today. They're like different books and different letters and different pieces. I was thinking about that this morning because I read that part of, of Luke where it says that he read the scroll from Isaiah. And I thought, if there was a cool way to do this, how do I communicate this to the, the kids in our church? Of like, they were just scrolls. And we were talking about synoptic Gospels last night. I'm like, these weren't necessarily in order. Because when the kids goes, what happens when we get to the end of the book? I'm like, well, we're not necessarily going in order from the book of John to Revelation. And even if we were... How do you decide that order? Like, how do Which, you decide what books are included? Well, and the included, not included, is a different question even than order and how you arrange right. them. They're arranged by the publisher in our in our arrangement, but they don't have to be arranged right. that way. I'm taking an Old Testament class, and I'm learning about the, the first five books of the Bible and, and different things, and there's some chapters in there that talked about, well, some people thought it should be in this order some people didn't want to include esther some you know and it was just, just i didn't realize how much thought went into by the early church fathers the order of the books what books why and how and they're not and they're not in chronological order necessarily right. the the minor prophets go from like the biggest books to the smallest books and then I, think it, I, I think that was one of the first things i encountered when i sat down to read my bible for the first time i was like well you could read it cover to cover and i thought i'll do a chronological plan i'm like this isn't an order like right, right. i'm all and over the place well and I, I like to look at it like it's a library shelf and i have certain things on this section of the shelf yeah. certain things on that section of the shelf the question that i find that i think i think this is why you know I, there's some strong points in some other systematic theology books but grudem's which we've been using that kind of as our discussion because we're using that in another class. He has this section on on do we have the right books. Mm. And he deals with how did the Old Old Testament come to really be solidified. And by the way, it's not like uh, how did they pick which books were going to be the Bible. It didn't work that way. It was how did they identify which books were of God and belonged in that this is right. the books of God and which ones really didn't belong in there. Um, not by just, I like this one, I don't like this one. That canon's major I mean, read. Or, that, you know. That's the whole key to this, right? Last time we spoke, we talked about how the Bible, as we see it, is, is God's word. It's his, his inspired word to us. So you really have to decide, are these books from God? Is this him speaking? Is, you know, is this what he wants included in his word? I heard a professor once say that the, we didn't choose the canon. The canon 
chose itself. Yeah. And we just were agreeing that those were from God. And I think the easiest way to see this, this is helpful for me when I think about it, is the Apocrypha. Okay. The, so I just handed you that that big uh, yeah, Catholic. Not, this is a huge Bible. Catholic Bible here. with the extra stuff. I have yeah. a little copy of it right here. Uh, the Apocrypha are a series of books that, uh, as far as the scope of time, belong... I thought this said Sriracha, but I think it's a Sriracha. <laughs> <laughs> well, these books were the books that happened or were written down, recorded events, possibly that were in the intertestamental period. That okay. that section between Old Testament and New Testament, like four hundred years. Yeah, it's four hundred years okay. of, of quiet there, and in, in the Protestant Bible, it's just a single page. Yeah. You know, that divides the Old Testament and the New Testament. But what happened here was for the longest time in the church, they didn't they didn't agree that this belonged in the canon either. But during a time of translation, I think when it went into the Latin, I think a Pope wanted that stuff included and there was yeah. some debate like on Rome or something. Don't, right? I'm not gonna do it, you are gonna do it, we're gonna include it, we're not gonna include it. And so anyway, and I think it was I think the Catholic Church finally called it canon like the 14th century or the, something like that. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm probably just totally wrong on this, but quite a bit later, I do know that. And so the books are like, this is where we have the Maccabees, um, Bell and the Dragon. Oh, yeah. The rest of Esther, Judith, Tobit. What'd you call that one? Sriracha. <laughs> something. <laughs> uh, first and second. There's uh, one here Estras. that says Wisdom of Solomon. Oh, yeah, the Wisdom of Solomon. Uh, anyway, so, so here's what's really great. I'm going to... I'm going to use, uh, I'm really appreciative of the work that Grudem did on this, but he he pointed out these books didn't profess to be of God. They don't oh. have thus saith the Lord, okay. God appeared in this way. Uh, the other, the apostles were not quoting from this. Jesus was not quoting from this. They were not saying these were scripture. But he has some specifics that I find really interesting. This is in First Maccabees 4, uh, verses 45 through 46 and I'm reading it in a not King James version but it said so they they tore down the oh by the way so the temple I think had been destroyed and there were some things but these stones that were part of the temple were really important because they were part of the altar this is the quote it says so they tore down the altar and stored the stones in a convenient place on the temple hill until there should come a prophet to tell them what to do with them so they said we need we need someone who speaks for God but there's currently nobody who speaks for God. So there's an indication even in that account that right. God wasn't talking. And then there's another one, and I find this one really fascinating. This is First Maccabees 9.27, and there's some other sections of this. But they're trying to deal with something, and the quote is, uh, Such had not been since the time that the prophets ceased to appear among them. Okay. So they're fully aware that there wasn't somebody speaking for the Lord. Right. And then we don't see someone come speaking for the Lord. Uh, until we get to John the Baptist crying right. out in the wilderness, and and then we're back to recording God's message, God's book, and so the apocrypha. Have you ever read the apocrypha? I haven't. It's uh, interesting. I don't think it's a bad read. It really helps us to kind of understand things that were happening in the intertestamental period. So you're saying that the apocrypha itself is saying that it doesn't really speak for God. That this isn't necessarily it, God's. It voice. doesn't. There's nowhere in it that it claims this is. Of the Lord, this is inspired. So, that, so that's why we don't have it as part of maybe our Protestant canon. But you're saying that the events that are listed in there probably did take place. And there's probably some legend written into sure. them. There's may, I mean, but, I, it's hard to say. But some of that stuff did happen. Yeah, yeah. No, there's, this is a good. 
this is a good historical read in a, in a in a lot of ways. Unlike the the um, what do they call the other ones? The pseudographica. The oh yeah, the totally yep. false right. You know, like the Gospel of Judas, and they're just taking on that name. Which how would that work? And the right. and you know, there's a bunch of those that were written later, and they were written yep. with fake names, and they're trying to be they're trying to be they're trying to be manipulative. Right. Those ones are trying to say this is from an author that's not. The apocryphal writings are not doing that. Right. They're not trying. They're not pretending to be from somebody right. else. They're not. <clears throat> they're just. Uh, they're just not from God. They're human books. Right. And so the Catholics have that added. And so if you have a big Catholic Bible, you know, it, you go from Old Testament to the apocryphal books to the New Testament. Sometimes there's a little note. I think there was a note in the one that I just handed you that said, you know, these were canonized. Yeah, and I think it had the, a date or something. in the, Yeah, by in the, the Roman Catholic Church or something. Said. <clears throat> yeah. And so. It, so it is indicating there was something different. I would encourage reading it. I, I do think... I do. I wouldn't encourage making it a part of your devotional study to learn from the right. Word of God. But if you're going to read a book, there's something of interesting history, and and it's just the least worth having. I've read it once. I'm not going to go back to it a bunch of times. Yeah. Uh, kind of interesting. We have another bunch of claims of Scripture in our context, for sure. And that's, you know, we're, we're in Utah. There's a lot of people that belong to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or Mormons. And they've taken and added um, the Book of Mormon, which is a collection of other books all assembled together that are making a claim of another account of biblical historical things. And the Mormons would say that is of God. Right. That is exactly equal to Scripture. And in fact, they put it higher than than the Bible saying that uh, the you know because they'll say well the Bible is okay so much as it's translated correctly and the Book of Mormon is good that's one of their articles right. of faith and then they also have the Doctrine and Covenants which is all the spoken things the what they call the modern day prophets and then they have the Pearl of Great Price so how does a Protestant how does a Christian come to this and say well how do I know if that goes in the Bible or not right. you know these are significant and important questions and that's where understanding how the canon came to be Understanding what God says about Scripture, understanding how Scripture works is incredibly vital. Uh, I found after reading the Bible a whole bunch, I didn't. When I then went to read the Book of Mormon, it didn't. It didn't seem to line up very well in numerous ways. That made me think. Well, wait a second here. I have something that I believe is the Word of God. I have something else claiming to be the Word of God, but it doesn't line up well. What do we do with that? Right. Then I go back to the Word of God and go, well, hold on a second. Right. I mean, wait a second. Time no, I mean, to that point, I shared in an earlier podcast that I had spent a lot of my life reading more books about the Bible than the Bible. And I would contend that I have a lot of Mormon friends that have spent more time reading the Book of Mormon than the Bible. Right. And maybe not the Bible at all. Right. You know, or, or like many Christians, well, I've read parts of it here and there. I've heard the stories. But when you start reading the Bible and you, you start to understand... God's voice or God's song played through different instruments. I mean, that's why it sounds different. You have a fisherman writing over here and a right. guy a who is a vine here. dresser and a doctor yeah. over here and a PhD in Pharisee over there and <laughs> Moses who's trained up, you know, in, sure. by the Egyptians. And right. So you have these different instruments, but the song still sounds right. similar. Right. There's, there's a thread that runs throughout the entire Bible that's very consistent. Yeah, and you see the continuity of it and you see, you just see how it 
really does fit, right. you know. And you and then you, then you come along and you go, well, the apocrypha doesn't quite sound like that, right? And the apocrypha is different, and the Book of Mormon doesn't sound like that. And people will say, well, couldn't it just be completely different? I suppose, but when you keep reading the Bible and you see what God's Word does have to say, it makes it hard to recognize the rest. Actually, uh, Martin Luther had this problem for a while. He was dogged so badly uh, on the book of James. Because okay. of his position yeah. on salvation sure. by grace alone. And people go, well, yeah. what about James? What about it? He got so tired of hearing people use James to argue against him right. that at one point he said, it's, it doesn't belong in the Bible. It doesn't fit. It that. doesn't sound the yeah. same. And later when he came back and started reading that and seeing the flow and studying, and he went, wait a minute, it... It is God's right. word. It does flow. And now that I understand that my opponents were not using that in the same way, yeah, you know, he struggled. But but you read and you study enough, you start to see God speaking through it, and it makes sense. It was so funny. I'm reminded. I saw a meme this week. Uh, it said on the it said you can't hear pictures, and then it showed a picture of the rooster from the Disney Robin Hood movie that where he sings that Roger Miller song, uh-huh. and I could immediately hear that song. I think about when I read God's word, like Dude, I can immediately hear his voice. <laughs> I've seen that same meme that said, said you can't hear pictures, yeah. and then it showed Darth Vader's tie fighter, oh, and the sure. two TIE fighters, or yeah. a lightsaber, like he's exactly. super like, I can hear it in my right. head. Anyway, so... But, so to say that, so you can hear, you learn God's voice, you know God's voice, even though he used different authors, doctors, Moses, what have you, there's, you can hear that same theme throughout all of scripture. And, and the more time you spend with him, I'm like, like um, think about a child with a parent. Yeah. Or, and this is so bizarre, or like, I mean, it definitely works this way with your spouse. You can so recognize that voice. You got kids. My, I remember when my kids were little. You know, there's 50 kids on a playground. Right. And there's kids everywhere. And you hear a kid crying, and, and I'm like, wait, is that, our, is that one of our kids? And my wife's like, no, that's not the cry. Like, they totally know. Yeah. They recognize. Or the mom, and mo- right. the right mom knows which <laughs> one to respond. And yeah. I think that's what's supposed to happen for the redeemed child of God who's been adopted into the family supposed to know dad's voice yeah. supposed to understand supposed to you know really hear it but we don't spend any time with the speaker right. with the bible that we don't know it and then along comes the book of mormon or along comes the apocrypha and we don't get why we other people don't see that it fits i think that's the problem people say you know i just want to hear a, a word from god but they're not willing to read their bible or they've read just enough of it that when another voice comes in and it uses similar words or similar yeah theology it sounds before. right right like oh that sounds right that must be right and that, so then they just go with it yeah know? well that, i mean that and that's why understanding i mean uh, reading your bible and and thinking through it and hearing through it and then you start reading how the history of the of how those lists started to get right. put together that said look we don't believe that particular book we don't preach that book in our church because we don't believe that's of god and then you go oh you don't preach that book we don't preach that book either and they start putting the other list well what books do you preach and you have these lists and they they just all kept lining up you know and sometimes the list wasn't totally complete we think all these books are the Oh, what well, we have this other letter well we're not really very familiar with that letter of, of paul so it's not on our list yet right and over time Old Testament comes together, and the New Testament authors are quoting the Old Testament right. as Scripture, and then the New Testament authors are quoting each other as Scripture, and then, I mean, and pretty soon you have this idea of, man, this thing just really, really comes together really pretty profoundly. You know, I really struggled. I'm getting a little older in life, and uh, you suggested one day I go to seminary, and I thought, <laughs> I don't want to go to sucker, school. Sucker. <laughs> like, that's the worst idea you've ever had. 
But, you know, I think that's the, one of the biggest problems we face today is we don't really study history. And so when I'd have people come up to me and go, how can, can you trust the Bible? It's thousands of years old. We don't even have original copies. But then as I studied church history and seminary, I learned how these things came together. And like you said, different people were preaching these books. Different people were quoting. It's you know, very compelling. It's, it's, you see, there, it wasn't just a fly-by-night, oh, well, here, we'll just duct tape this it, all together. It becomes harder to argue against it sure. than for it when you have all the compelling yeah. evidence and all the manuscripts and <clears throat> and the Aseans and the Qumran community and the Dead Sea Scrolls and this thing and that thing. You're like, what? I, this is overwhelming. It's like right. there's this bean illustration, a coffee bean illustration. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where, uh, and I would encourage just search um, uh, original just, manuscripts and coffee beans maybe? Yeah, it was something like coffee bean and answers in Genesis or Put something. Put it together, yeah. yeah. So so like this guy, and he, he's got a little cup and he's like, okay, we have five original manuscripts of sure. Plato and we don't even have those. Those are dated. Because that's why you say you can't believe the Bible because we don't have original We don't have the original stuff. Yeah. And so you have, you know, they're, they're hundreds of years from when they were originally written and he, he really does a good job. Like, okay, well, we have these manuscripts and these manuscripts and he ends up pouring like a 30-pound bag full of beans <laughs> that represent all the different manuscripts and yeah. the quoting and then the, and this thing and that thing. And I mean, it's really, it's far more remarkable that we don't trust the Bible when you see all that, then we, we do. But most right. people don't spend the time, which is fine. Right. Uh, if you're interested, though, Grudem does do a good job. There's some, really other, does. There's some other systematic theologies out there, but I don't think majority of them... I mean, Grudem is a little weaker in some of the other areas, but I think in this area, he's got multiple chapters, the big book, multiple right. chapters on, on just how this all really came about. Or his podcast, the Systematic oh, Theology yeah. Wayne Grudem podcast. He is... Some good stuff on that. And you've been really digging in it more and more. And I've been yeah. watching you become more solidified in it. Yeah. I'm guessing seminary helps. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, funny. So, yeah. I mean, I like I've said before, I think the Bible is a great starting point for, for what we believe and why believe it. we believe it. And I think Grudem does a really good job at, at really explaining why our Bible is the way it is and why it's been canonized the way it is. And now so. you're going to go out and read the Apocrypha, aren't you? I, I think I need to, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. You had me at Bell and the Dragon and Sriracha. <laughs> right. So. <laughs> Sriracha. Yet, I, I think it is one of those things that we need to say, it's interesting to read. Yeah. Oh, that's curious, but I think when you do read it, you go, I can kind of see how this doesn't quite line up. Sure. I don't see... But it is interesting to see what's happening in those... 400 intertestamental years you know there's some value there sure and we have lots of other stuff like that we read lots of stuff we don't assume everything we read is of the bible so we need to be mindful of some of those kinds of things there's some good books by christian authors today i don't know if i'd include it in my canon right like oh that's (laughs) a really great book i definitely want it on a desert island with me but i it's not god's right god did not author that which maybe we want to get into i don't know to what extent but these are dual authored god is an author Using a human agent, sure. How did that come about? How is it? Maybe that maybe we should save that for the next podcast. Yeah, that, you can. Shoot, is it you know dictated like right. a secretary dictated? Is he write it himself and the book just fell out of the sky? <laughs> I think Miller Erickson uses that example. Like, do we actually believe this book just came ploop just yep, as we have it, it? No, there's a process, right? right? So, I think that'd be an interesting conversation for too. sure. Well, right. I hope, I hope we've encouraged people to go read their Bible. Yeah. And maybe pick up a systematic theology book. Yeah. If you have questions, I think we'd love to hear from you. Saltybeliever.com. Maybe you've read the Apocrypha. Let if you're interested in you going think. to seminary, I think you could yeah. talk to Josiah about his experiences. It's a game changer, and it's worth it. <laughs> yeah, so. I'd be happy to chat with you, too. Awesome. Well, I hope you guys are enjoying this. Until next time.
for listening. Find more information at saltybeliever.com.